I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. All right, hey guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. Hey guys. Steve Crawford, that is. And we have with us Steve Walker. Uh, Steve Walker is a frog expert and an NRM education officer with Adelaide and Mount Lofty Natural Resources Management Board. He's also the coordinator of Frog Watch South Australia. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> wow. Good job, Adrian. It's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> and you missed a word. I missed a word. <sighs> oh, we can... We, uh, I had one job. So <laughs> uh, mate, so welcome. We just had a, a walk through. We're at Animals Anonymous headquarters. So, guys, you might hear some birds and frog noises in the background. And we just took a walk down and found a couple of frogs on the property, mate. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about them. Yeah, so the ones that we were looking at were Bibrin's toadlet, which is one of the rare species in South Australia and it's got an absolutely amazing life history. So it's one of the frogs where you, you talk about it and people go, I hardly believe that. It's so incredible. So they're pretty fantastic little frogs. You want to know more? I would love to know more. Yeah. All I know is I've got them here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing. And the fact that we found so many, because often they're a frog, they're really hard to find. And you, you're really lucky if you see one or two. And we saw, you know, half a dozen or so down there this morning. So it's pretty spectacular. And the fact that we found one so quickly was amazing. So these frogs are really bizarre because they do their breeding right at the beginning of the year. Where most others are waiting till winter, spring, early summer to start breeding. These ones are late summer breeders. And so the males will be out calling to attract the females. They will then lay their eggs and they lay them on the ground. And the tadpole starts to develop inside the egg and gets to the stage where you'd normally expect tadpoles to be getting their legs. And then they stop and just go into suspended animation and they'll sit there and wait. In the egg? In the egg, on the ground. And they wait, and they wait, and hopefully rains will come and flood the whole area. Once the area is flooded and basically become a small pond, then the tadpoles will hatch out into the water and finish their normal development. Whoa. That's amazing, yeah. It's like embryonic diapause. Yeah. If the rains don't come, they dry up and die. Ah, and that's one of the reasons they're so threatened in South Australia and the other states. Lots of the land where they're traditionally found, people drain them. So you might have a farmer or some other landholder who's got this part of their property that gets really boggy and fills up with water, and they go, that's useless to me. I'm going to drain it so I can have crops or animals or whatever. And so the habitat's disappeared. If you don't have the areas getting flooded, you don't have the frogs. So the current drought's probably not a great thing. It, it can be a problem. There are species which is adapted to living in the dry conditions in Australia. So every year or so, if there's a if there's a bit of a drought, they can probably handle that. But if it's extended periods, so if it's drought for four, five, six years, then that's going to be a major problem for them. You know, if it's one year here and there, they'll probably get through that. They just won't have babies that year. Okay, I can just as you're saying that, I can hear a frog in the background there. Yes, there it is. And what is it? It's a crinia, common froglet? Yeah, common froglet. Yeah, most common frog in South Australia. Is that right? Yeah. They're really widespread. They're found throughout the southern part of South Australia, so the, from the bottom of the Flinders Ranges and Air Peninsula right across to the eastern states, and they're quite common in the eastern states as well, and also down in Tasmania. Okay. And they're, they're found in just about any freshwater habitat you can think of, so streams, ponds, dams, rivers, swamps, wetlands... They're found throughout them. And they're not at all threatened? No, no, they're the really common one. Okay. So our little Bibron's toadlet, he, I believe, is related to the corroboree frog? Yes. The, the yeah. black and gold, beautiful frog that we see on the internet? Yeah, so the genus Shudophony, which means false toad, includes Bibron's toadlet, red crown toadlet, the corroboree frogs and a few others. So they're, they're all these really interesting little ground-breeding frogs. They okay. do certainly look more... Toady than than what you typically yeah as a frog yeah and and it's interesting because when you say frog and toad people typically think they're completely different things but there's about 21 families of what scientists would call tailless amphibians and the toads the true toads make up one family and the true frogs make up another there's 19 other families which you shouldn't be calling frog or toad if you're saying frogs are only these ones toads are only these ones 
Ah, so what, as a scientist, we just call them all tailless amphibians, and you can say, you can call any of them a frog, you can call any of them a toad, it doesn't really matter. That's interesting. If you say true frog, that's one specific family. If you say true toad, that's a specific family. And we don't have any true toads native to Australia? No, the only true toad we have in Australia is the cane toad, which has been introduced. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one, one true frog species, which is the water frog, up in the Northern Territory, Queensland. So we only have one true frog? Yes. So all these other things are imposters? Yes. It's a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, coming, you, coming you, find, English guy. Yeah, you <laughs> find one of these things, and if someone says it's not a frog, it's not a toad, you'd be going... What is it then? What is it then? Yeah. Tailless amphibian. Okay, I yeah. like that. Tailless yeah. amphibian. Yeah. It's a little bit like the um, rat mice thing. Like you've got the traditional house mouse and you've got like, you know, black rats, but then you've got all these intermediate things like, is it a rat? Is it a mouse? Yeah. 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 Like guinea pig hamster. Guinea pig hamster. <laughs> yeah. Plains mouse, plains rat, whatever yeah. you want to, kind of the intermediate zone. But not big enough to be a rat, too big to be a mouse. Yeah. Okay, so, so different frogs have different life cycles, like we talked about the Bivens total, it's saying paused in the egg until flood, flooding occurs, yes. if it occurs. There are frogs that have to adapt to the deserts where it might only rain every several years. I mean, what's going on there? So they, they've come up with different ways of surviving in those conditions. So many of them are burrowing frogs and they'll go underground, and they may be six or seven years underground waiting for the next rain to come. As soon as the rain comes, up they pop. They breed like mad, they feed like mad, they absorb water, and then they go underground again. So some of these frogs may only be active two or three nights every six or seven years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just sitting there. In, some, some of them will shed their skin to form a little bit of a cocoon with the water inside it, and they just sit there waiting for the rain, doing absolutely nothing. Do we know how long these frogs could live for? So some of these burrowing frogs are probably going to live in the wild 20, 30 years. If they're underground, they're not being exposed to predators, so they've got quite a long life. The dangerous part about being a frog is when you're active and there's all the birds and reptiles and mammals doing their best to try to eat you, even other frogs trying to eat you. So if you sit underground for years, you're quite safe. Yeah. That's... Uh... A bit boring, but safe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, people have often said that to me. It must be really boring being one of these burrowing frogs. But I generally think of it this way. You're spending 90% of your life asleep. You wake up. You stuff yourself silly. You have sex. And then you go back underground again. <laughs> <laughs> Not too bad a life. Yeah. <laughs> I know humans like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apart from one of those bits they don't get yeah. much of. <laughs> <laughs> sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the... Sandhill frog from Western Australia. Yes. He's got a pretty amazing adaptation, hasn't he? Yeah, so they're a frog which spends a lot of their time in the sand dunes. And if I remember correctly, they breed underground. They lay their eggs underground. And then the tadpole will complete its entire development inside the egg. So you're a little bit like Bibran's toadlet. The tadpole starts to develop inside the egg. In this case, they don't stop and wait for the rains to come. They just keep growing turn into a little frog and then hatch out and they're active that way and hatch yeah. out as a frog yeah. yeah and some of those desert frogs we were talking about like the painted frog in the desert they can lay their egg and they can go from egg through the tadpole to a little frog in as little as 16 days wow yeah, okay. That, is that the Neopetrarchus pictus? Yes. I had a yeah. pet one of those. It yeah. was a, the most boringest pet <laughs> he was just in a vivarium in the office and you would come in and just be an empty vivarium. And every now and again, maybe three o'clock in the morning, a couple of times a year, he'd be out. So, yep. whoa, there he is. And you put some crickets in there. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, 16 days is pretty amazing. Other species of frogs take a lot longer than that. So the common frog, like the one we're listening to at the moment, can go from egg to frog in about 28 days. The brown tree frog does it in about six weeks. There are some of the frogs that live in the mountain ranges down in Tasmania. It may be two years. Okay. Because they, if they don't get the timing right, they hit the cold winters. So they basically slow right down, almost again into a suspended animation, and they've got to wait for the next warm season to get enough food and energy to finish their normal development. And they can sort of do that at short notice, sort of decide now's not the time. Yeah, well, it's basically their activity is dependent on the temperature. So they just get really slow. 
and there's not a lot of food, so that they got no choice but just to slow down. And there's um, temperature and other environmental cues too that bring on metamorphism, like salinity maybe when the water evaporates and it, yeah it can be yeah so certainly with the desert frogs if the conditions dry up some of them can actually speed up their development and they may go i'm not going to try to get really big because the water's not going to hang around i'll just change now i'll be a really little frog sometimes that helps them because they can get out of the drying water they can go find food and go underground but if you're a really little frog that impacts on this sort of food you can eat because frogs don't have teeth for chewing food. They only eat what they can swallow whole. So if you're a really little frog, you can only eat really little food. If you're a big frog, you can eat bigger food. So there's an advantage in trying to get as big as you can before you metamorphose. But if the water's going to run out, there's no point trying to get really big because you're going to die. So come out as a little frog. Ah. So with that in mind with them feeding, um, how do they swallow whole prey items? The adult frog, it's really amazing. If you ever get the chance to watch one, if you get on YouTube and try to find some footage of a frog swallowing, they're really amazing. They don't have a, a palate inside their mouth. So with us, if we stuck our finger in our mouth, we can't just poke it out of our nose because we've got the bridge of our mouth separating our nose and our mouth. You've actually got to go down your throat and then back up and around to get out. Because frogs don't have that, their nose and their mouth is connected and there's no bone behind their eyeballs. They don't have the sockets like we do. So they are actually able to push their eyeballs down into their mouth. So the back of their eyeball pushes on the food and helps them swallow. They swallow with their eyes. With their eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing to watch. Yeah. yeah. They can push their eyeballs right down. Do you have a good look for that? Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> I see it when I feed Simon my green tree frog. He eats mice, uh, the heads of mice or yep. legs of mice. and Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Mm. What a strange thing. And they don't drink with their mouths, is that true? Typically not. They do okay. most of their drinking just by absorbing the water straight through their skin. Uh, so they'll just go and sit in a bowl of water and get wet and they soak the water in. Right. And they can, they can breathe using their skin as well? Yeah, most frogs do a lot of their breathing through their skin. Yeah. Some of them will breathe through lungs, which are fairly inefficient compared to our lungs. So if you look at our lungs, they're a little bit like a sponge. There's a huge amount of surface area inside so they can you can suck out all the oxygen in, straight into your bloodstream. Frogs' lungs are a little bit more like a bag. So there's not all the structure inside. So it's much smaller surface area. So not as good at sucking the oxygen out of the water. And other frogs can actually also take in oxygen just through the roof of their mouth. So there's lots of blood vessels inside their mouth to help them get the oxygen. So water quality, that's a massive issue for frogs, isn't it? For some frogs. Some yeah. frogs, interesting. So, yeah, so some frogs are really sensitive to pollution and habitat loss. Others don't seem to care as much. They probably prefer if the water was nice and healthy and there's lots of vegetation and food. But if it's a bit scungy, they'll go, I'll make use of it anyway. So frogs like the common froglet, they seem to be able to handle just about anything you throw at them. There's a, a train line that runs through Bridgewater near where I live and there's these scungy pools on the side of the railway line. There's rubbish in there, there's oil, and there's frogs in there breeding quite happily. They have multiple heads, but... Yeah. Well, interesting <laughs> you should say that. Some of them, when I've collected them, have been deformed. So for some frogs, if they get exposed to heavy metals and other chemicals, that can actually alter their development and you do come up with abnormal frogs. Other frogs, brown tree frogs, for example, they don't seem to like pollution at all. They're a lot more sensitive than common froglet and rather than having lots of abnormalities, they will just die. Mm, that's yeah. interesting. What is the biggest frog that we have here in Australia? In Australia, it's the white-lipped tree frog, so Littoria infrafrenata which is also recognised as being the largest tree frog in the world. So they get to around about 15 centimetres, measured from the tip of their nose to their bottom. That's massive. I mean, the biggest frog we've got here, I think, is the banjo frog, and he's up to nine centimetres. Yeah, about nine centimetres. He's yeah. pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big frog. Yeah. So that's twice as big as the banjo frog. Why do tree yeah. frogs they're commonly kept as pets as well? Yeah, a lot of people keep yeah. them as pets, mm. yeah. And it's interesting because I used to know a lady who kept them as pets and she actually had them breeding. And one day the RSPCA and the police came and knocked on her door and they said, we're here about the dog. <laughs> and she's gone, what dog? 
Well, the neighbours have reported that you've been keeping a dog and mistreating it and you've got it locked up in the shed. And she's gone, I don't have a dog. Oh, hang on. Come with me. So she took the police and the RSPCA into her garage, which had been fully decked out with all these tanks, and she has white tree frogs in there. And when they call, they sound like a barking dog. So they'd been calling to do their breeding, and the neighbours had heard it and gone, oh, someone's mistreating this dog. They must be fairly loud. They're very loud, yeah. They're quite amazing. So when we're out bushwalking and we hear a frog, are we only hearing males? Not always. Mostly when you hear frog, it's a male frog, and the male frogs are calling to attract females. So basically they're screaming at the top of their head, hey, girls, I'm really sexy. For a good time, come and mate with me. (laughs) And so that's the call that you hear most of the time. But frogs can also make a panic call. So if they feel threatened or disturbed, they will do a bit of a scream, and that can be a scream to try to scare away the predator or it might be a warning to other frogs to say there's danger around you can also get a territorial call and this is typically made by a male frog who's calling and he makes this territorial call to say to the other frogs hey this is my spot you go and find somewhere else if you want to call you know get out of my space and you can also get a release call which can be made by the male or the female and basically this is a If a frog grabs hold of you and tries to mate with you, if you're a female who's already mated, or this is a different species of frog, you might make this release call to say, get off, no, we're not gonna mate today. And if a male frog grabs another male frog, the male frog may make a release call to say, hey, I'm a guy, I'm not into that, get off me. So there's a few different calls that you can hear, but predominantly what you will hear is a mating call made by the male frogs. It's interesting when you get a whole heap of frogs together and there's quite a chorus and um, you can really tune in with it. I've been walking along the rivers and you hear the banjo frogs. I mean, they just go bonk, yep. bonk. When you get a heap together, it, it's, it's a crazy sound. Yeah. And there's some, some kind of crazy rhythms going on there, I'm sure of it. Yeah, and sometimes with the banjo frogs, they've got a little bit of a Mexican wave type thing going on <laughs> and they often take it in turn. So you don't typically hear bonk from two frogs at the same time. You might hear bonk, bonk which is where people get the name Pobblebonk from. Ah, yeah. Each bonk is a different frog. So sometimes they take it in turns. So I'll go bonk, now you can go bonk, and the next guy can go bonk. And that will give the female frogs the opportunity to listen to all the different males, and then she can choose the one that she thinks is the sexiest. Wow. I wonder if anyone's ever thought of bringing out a song using frog noises. Oh, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) That was was that the crazy frog thing? <laughs> so was that, and there was um, there was a song as well. I can't remember what it is, but yeah, bong, Yeah, that's from Rupert and the Frog Song. We all stand together by Paul McCartney. That's it. Yeah. Ah, there, there you go. I've not one. heard that. So in um, we obviously there's been problems in what I know of in South and Central America with um, a lot of frogs dying. Do we have similar issues here in Australia? Yeah, so so the chytrid fungus, which is the fungus which has been reported as killing lots of frogs, has been found in Australia. It's believed to be responsible for the decline in species in the eastern states, especially up around Queensland. It has been found in South Australia on occasion. As far as we know, it hasn't had any major impacts on the frogs in SA. Time will tell whether that continues to be the case or not. There has been some people suggesting that the climate in South Australia, having the really hot, dry summers and the cold, wet winters, may not be ideal for the chytrid fungus. It may not be able to get a stronghold here. But if we continue to impact on the frogs with changing water quality and reducing their habitat, we're putting them under stress, and that may make them more susceptible to diseases like the chytrid fungus coming through. So it might not be that the chytrid fungus would have killed them if they weren't happy and healthy, but because they're under pressure, we've really drained them down. It's the stress that makes the difference. Yeah. Mm. Mm. What about pollutants like glyphosate? Everyone puts weed killer on their gardens and things like that. Is that an issue for frogs? The last I heard is that the active ingredient in the glyphosate isn't a problem, but the surfactant which is used for spreading the glyphosate is a problem. So the the surfactant acts a little bit like a detergent. So it's designed to spread and coat the active ingredient in the glyphosate over the leaf of the weed and kill it. That works in the same way on frog skin as it does on the leaf. 
And because frogs do quite a lot of their breathing through their skin, it's basically like coating their body with a, a layer, which then blocks out the oxygen exchange, so then they basically suffocate. I, I do know that they did bring out some products a while back which were called Bioactive, which were the surfactant or free or low surfactant glyphosate products. They call it the frog-friendly. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that is still a, a problem for them or not. I haven't done the research, so I can't give you a definitive answer. But the theory was that if you don't have the surfactant, you don't have the problems with the coating of the frog skin. Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about what people can do if they want to maybe have a frog pond or somehow help help frogs out or encourage frogs to their gardens? Yeah. So the number one thing would be to try to eliminate all chemicals from your garden. So if you don't have any chemicals, you don't have the possibility of impacting on them. So get rid of all the herbicides, the fertilisers, any other pesticides. If you've got frogs in your garden, they do a really good job at controlling the, the insect pests. So they, they'll do it for you. You don't need to spray chemicals if you've got happy, healthy frogs in there doing that. The other thing you can do is try to set up habitat for the frogs. So if you can set up a pond or a frog bog, that is a great area for the frogs to move in. Some frogs like to have large open bodies of water so that they can do lots of breeding. Other frogs go, a wet, boggy area is all that I need. There's a river nearby. If I want to breed, I'll head down there but this is a nice safe spot for me to sit. I can find food, I can escape from predators, I can just chill out in your garden. So a diversity of habitats would be good if you've got some shallow water, maybe a little bit of deep water, some yeah. rocks, some logs, some plants. Absolutely. And we always recommend putting in local native plants. They're the plants which are going to be well adapted to the conditions of your soil. They are going to be the plants which attract insects, which are the major source of food for frogs. So if you're putting in lots of exotic plants, maybe you're not bringing in the bugs that the frogs like to eat. If they don't have food, they're not going to hang around. Okay. One thing I like to, I mean, I see a lot of people put pond designs up on the, the internet and some of them look great, but some of them are just vessels they've buried in the ground. The sides are perpendicular to the ground and they become a bit of a death trap or at least they don't have the... Um, the tapering edges which i think a lot of plants and animals need to, to live so you've got more diversity if you've got the you know the shallow waters leading into the deeper waters yeah absolutely you can make a, a, a perfectly good frog pond out of an old bathtub but you just need to put in the structures so little frogs can get out so having lots of overhanging plants will basically create little rope ladders that they can get out of having Piles of rocks, creating a little bit of a ramp works really well. Even having branches that stick into the water so that their little frogs can get it, climb up onto the branch in the water and then climb out and up into the garden works really well. Most frogs, when they first metamorphose from a tadpole to a little frog, they're learning how do their new body works. They've not had legs before. They, they're not really good at climbing. They're not the smartest creatures on the planet. A lot of them will drown if they don't have easy access to get out of the water. So you've got to make it really, really simple for them. You might have a single little ramp, which works perfectly well, but if the frog isn't smart enough to work out how to get to it, or that it's at the other side of the pond, they're going to drown. Sometimes they'll just hang around in, in the deep end of the pond and drown when they could have gone to the other side and climbed out. So you've got to make it really simple for them. You don't often think of a frog drowning, do you? Doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound right. No. <laughs> I've actually heard, someone said the other day, I can't remember who said it to me, but fish can drown. Mm. I'll leave that with you. Um, so <laughs> well, if you don't have the oxygen in the water, they're not going to be able to breathe. There you go. So if you've got stagnant water, fish can easily drown. Yeah, they do actually water. still breathe. Yeah, <laughs> they've still got to be able to breathe. Yeah. About fish, can you have fish and frogs and tadpoles and things living together, or does it depend on the species? It certainly depends on the species. General rule of thumb is frogs and fish don't mix really well because fish love eating frog eggs and tadpoles and even little frogs. So the best thing is to try to avoid it. But some of the really small native fish with really small mouths, they'll eat much less of the frog eggs and the tadpoles. Than Certainly you wouldn't put a goldfish in a pond because you'd end up with a really big fat goldfish and no frogs. But some of the smaller native fish, as long as you've got lots of vegetation in and around the pond, 
you'll have enough places that the tadpoles and the frogs can seek refuge so they won't get attacked. You'll lose a few, that's the circle of life, but if you've got plenty of vegetation, most of them should be able to survive. And th- would they eat like the, the mosquito uh, larva and that? Would they feed on that sort of stuff? So f- obviously with some water there, you're going to bring on mozzies yeah. a bit. So you mean the, the frogs or the fish? The, were the frogs and, uh, and tadpoles? Yes, yeah, so some, some tadpoles are, are quite able to eat some of the mosquitoes. Yeah. But the, the main thing is if you set up a really good pond with a diverse habitat, you're not going to have just tadpoles in the water. You're going to get lots of insects coming yeah. in, so dragonflies and damselflies and water boatmen and other sorts of water bugs, which are really good predators themselves. So they'll control a lot of the mosquitoes. If you put out a pond with just water in it, that's basically like a bucket just asking for mosquitoes to come in. But if you've got lots of vegetation, as I said, in and around the pond, providing lots of different habitat layers, you'll get a lot of those other insect predators coming in, which will control the mosquitoes. I just want to mention to your book, it's called The Frogs of South Australia, and all the uh, frogs are photographed beautifully in the book, and it's available... It we, is. We might put a link up. Uh, that people can buy it online. Yeah, you can get it through the Frogs of South Australia Facebook page. It's also available in a few shops, like the museum shop, sometimes in the zoo shop. So it is around. Yeah, we'll put a link up for that. It's yeah, a definitely. great book. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for autographing my copy today. Most welcome. Uh, when we we went down, uh, like we said earlier, we we went down and we looked at some big bronze toadlets, and we've got an ephemeral creek down the bottom of the property, and we were looking at mosquito larva, and you pointed out that. There was something that looked a bit different. We thought maybe they were dragonfly larvae, mm. they were a bit bigger, but it was yeah. the pupae stage yes. of the mosquito. Yes. So water bugs, they, they've got a whole range of different interesting life cycles themselves as well. And a mosquito has got a life cycle very similar to a butterfly. So the wriggler is very similar to the caterpillar stage of the butterfly. You then have the, the pupa, which is like the chrysalis in the butterfly, and then the adult butterfly adult mosquito are similar and of course they then lay eggs the mosquitoes do it in the water whereas most butterflies do it on land strange to think of something coming out of a little black wriggly thing and then just being able to fly away and it's a very strange <laughs> looking little black wriggly thing it is strange yeah. and it's when they they're, they're tiny but when they move they almost make you jump because you're not what did that <laughs> why did that move that yeah. just doesn't make any sense yeah. and if you look at mosquito wrigglers they've actually got a little snorkel which comes out of their backside which they stick out of the water so they do their breathing through the air and that's why um, people often put things like kerosene or detergent in their rainwater tank creating that layer that prevents the mosquito sticking its little snorkel out to the surface to get air. Ah. And when they form a pupa, they've got these two little horns, which I think act in a similar sort of way, forming these little snorkels that they can breathe. Interesting. So on, on your, um, is it the NRM website, you've got um, information about a lot of different things. But Absolutely, yes. The macroinvertebrates, I mean, they can be indicative of water quality, can't they? If you've yes. got a lot of this species, you think, oh, this is great, I've got all these... Yeah, but they're indicative of too many nutrients, you know, and then you've got species that indicate really healthy ecosystems yeah. as yeah. well. So, yeah, many of the aquatic invertebrates, they have got been given what's called a signal score, which is basically giving us an idea of their sensitivity to pollution or habitat loss. And the general rule is if you've got a huge diversity of insect species, that's a good thing. And if you've got some of these which are really sensitive to pollution, that's even better. So, yeah, we've got identification charts and other resources on our website. So you can go down to your local waterway, you can do a bit of a sample of the water bugs and then go through and identify them and then that will tell you how healthy your environment is. That's great. And there are ways, are there ways that people can get involved in citizen science with um, the frogs in their local area? Absolutely. So in South Australia, we've got the Frog Watch SA program, and that's all been set up using a smartphone app called Frog Spotter. So you can get that for your Android phone or your iPhone, install the app, and just go out and make recordings. And the really good thing about having it on a smartphone is that most people nowadays take a smartphone everywhere they go. So if you're taking your dog for a walk or you've gone for a bush walk and you hear frogs calling, you can whip out your phone, make a recording, you can take photographs if you want, you enter some very simple environment data and then you can submit it to the Frogwatch website 
once it's on the website, we can get on there, we can have a listen, identify what the frogs are, and you will get an email notification back telling you the frogs have been ID'd and this is what they are. And the good thing about the website is you can go onto it and listen to the recordings that everybody has submitted. So if you've made a recording and you think, I wonder if there's any other recordings nearby my area, you can just get on, have a look at the map, click on the spot, play the recording, look at the data that they've submitted. If they've taken any photos, you can look at those photos as well. Anybody on the planet with a computer can access it. That's great. That sounds so great. And, and yeah. to think you can go do a pond dip anywhere and actually find out through a bit of investigation if that's healthy water yeah. or if it's going with like that's absolutely awesome. we'll put yeah. links for that for sure yeah, yeah. On, on there as well it, it's interesting that like again getting back to that bubron's total you know that's threatened in the in the local area rare in the state and where it is on our property yeah, we've got a lot of beautiful bush here it's uh, it's quite intact but the spot where it's found is an old quarry um we're doing our best to sort of revegetate with some local natives etc but it's just an old quarry. It's so strange to be cut out in the hill, and that seems to be, um, it seems to be thriving there. Yeah, it's perfect habitat for them because you've got lots of leaf litter, you've got rocks and bark on the ground which they can hide in, and you've got the water nearby when it floods, which is perfect breeding conditions for them. So you've got everything that those little frogs need. Fluke, total fluke. Good job, Adrian. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because some of the other spots where I've found them in the past have been disused quarries. Really? Yeah. It's like, well, when I've been out herping with um, my herping mates, you know, you'll, you'll look around the bush and, you know, this, this sort of thing, but then you go into, you find a dump where someone's just dumped a heap of car bodies and bits of old tin and stuff, and that's where you find a real diversity of reptiles yeah. too. Yeah. So maybe yeah. uh, it's not all bad. <laughs> We're not endorsing just trashing the trash environment. It's best yeah. to have the good stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, how long have you been into frogs, mate? I've been into wildlife my entire life. I really started getting into frogs when I was at university. When I started finding out about the local frogs, there were creeks that ran through the university, so... You know, during breaks, I'd head over there and have a bit of a, a look and a listen and started to get to know the frogs in the local area. And once you start to find out a little bit about them, it snowballs and it can take over your life. So they're absolutely amazing creatures. Does Australia have a pretty rich um, frog fauna? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, huge number of species. There's over 230 species of frogs have so far been reported in Australia. There's six species in the Adelaide and Mount Lofty Ranges region which are native to the area. And sometimes people go, six, that's not that many. If you look at all of England, there's three. Leave it, Adrian. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty diverse, isn't it? Yeah. That's interesting. And we had John Gisham, the president of Birds SA, on the podcast, and we were talking about the efficacies involved in playing bird calls to birds, and some people do it to attract the birds or to get a call back from the birds. Is there anything like that with frogs? Absolutely. The, you can make the mimic the call, and they can sometimes respond to that. But there's other little amazing tricks you can do as well. I'll just stop you there, sorry. When you say you can mimic the call, yeah. I believe yeah. that you can mimic the you, call. You, I've heard yeah. You, yeah. you did the banjo frog earlier. Oh, there we go. Bonk. Yeah. Bonk, yeah. <laughs> some, some calls are much more complex than others. But you can, you know, a person can learn how to make the call and have the frogs respond. How big is your frog call repertoire? It's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you show us a couple? I can show you some. I need to get a drink first, though. Okay. Wow, that's serious. It's serious. <laughs> uh, it, for some species, it can be really hard if you've got a dry mouth. I'll do my crocodile while we're waiting. That's, that's pretty good. Thank you. Brown tree frog? That's a brown tree frog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spotted grass frog? Yes. What? He's doing well. Common froglet. No. No. Oh! Uh, Cocky. Is that the bibrons? It is. Ah. (laughs) Very similar, but bibrons goes up a little bit at the end. It's got this upward inflection, they say. Upward inflection. Whereas the common froglet tends to be fairly monotone or fairly flat in its range. 
So it doesn't go up at the end. So that's the common frogolith? Yeah. And can you do the bibrons one more time? Ah, <laughs> subtle, isn't it? It's very subtle. Okay. Yeah. That's, of course, if Steve's actually telling us the truth. That's, yeah. If you get on the Frogwatch website, you can listen to all the recordings and decide for yourself. <laughs> Are they all you or the actual frogs? No, the actual frogs. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've heard that. It's my wife. That's, yeah. <laughs> Have you heard it in your house? I don't. Oh, that's the uh, green tree frog. Green tree frog. Yeah, that's the one. There we go. Because I had a similar thing, the story before with the lady with the white lip tree frog and the, thing, the neighbours thinking it was a dog. Yep. I had the green trees out in the, um, the room out the back and the neighbours thought I was out there in the middle of the night sawing wood like I was yeah. some mad oh, wow. carpenter. Hmm. Yeah, no. No, <laughs> no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't actually. It's a frog. Yeah. yeah. But if you get the Frog Spotter app, you can listen to all the recordings of frogs in South Australia. There's some absolutely amazing calls on there. Some things you just think, that surely is not a frog. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I've heard, there's a, I've never heard it, but there's a frog called the motorbike frog. Yes. Okay, I'm waiting. Yeah. <laughs> so that, there's, there's actually a Western Australian species. At the moment, it's considered to be two species. There's talk about merging them into a single species. This is one of the bell frogs. It's been introduced into the... Streaky Bay area in South Australia. Oh, is that the um, not the th- spotted thighed frog? Yes. Ah, yeah. I've heard about. He's poisonous, isn't he? I'm not sure if it's poisonous or not. So okay. most frogs produce chemicals in their skin. Okay. And some of them are poison. Some of them are sunscreen. Some of them are antimicrobial agents. So it, it may be that the spotted thighed frog does produce a chemical which is slightly poisonous. I'm not 100% sure on that one. Is the thinking that they're hitchhiking in over the Nullarbor? There has been some suggestion maybe they came in on trucks or, or caravans. Yeah, so if yeah. you're driving along and there's a frog hitchhiking coming yeah. back from Western Australia, yeah. don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. Don't pick yeah. it up. Yeah. I just think of Kermit the Frog. This podcast yeah. is so informative. It's getting yeah. there, isn't it? <laughs> but the motorbike frog does sound like a motorbike. And it's just interesting because we went over to Western Australia for a conference in the late 90s and we were staying at a caravan park and next to the caravan park was a big wetland. So we decided we'd go for a bit of a wander at night and see if there's any frogs around. So we're walking along down this dirt track and then you start hearing all these motorbikes and you think, oh, geez, there's all these hoons around on their <laughs> dirt bikes. And, you know, you get a little bit freaked because you're in a swamp at night in a strange location. You think this is, this is not good. And then you go, hang on, that's not motorbikes. That's actually these frogs. And it just sounds like dirt bikes changing through the gears. They're quite amazing. Oh, wow. wow. To play that, play that though. Mm. I, there's a frog that hasn't been in Adelaide for that long. I mean, probably... 10, 15 years, the Perrin's tree frog, and he's got a pretty extraordinary call. We thought yeah. it was some crazy bird, um, and then I realised, oh, my God, I reckon it's that, that Perrin's tree frog. I hadn't heard it before at the time, and yeah, he's a cool-looking frog. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful frogs. I used to keep them as pets, and I had some that I got. They were reasonably old when I got them, and I had them for about 16 years before they got old and died. Wow. So they can be quite long-lived frogs. They're beautiful-looking frogs. They've got bright emerald spots all over their body and they've got black and white markings in their groin and on, on their hands and feet. They've got a cross-shaped pupil, so they're really unusual looking frogs. Yeah, it's a really good spotting characteristic, isn't it? Yeah. That letter X um, Absolutely. pupil. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. They've got the crazy call, which sounds a bit like a mad witch in can, the swamp. Can, can you do it? No, it's it's really difficult. You can sort of do a an attempt, but it's not very good. I could play the call for you on my phone, <laughs> but if you imagine this witch with a cunning plan in the swamp. <laughs> That's it. Something like that. It's, <laughs> it's not perfect. But that's it. Yeah. Um, but that's actually a bit of a problem for me because this is a frog which is not supposed to be found in this region. In South Australia, its natural distribution is the length of the River Murray, including some of the swamps and wetlands associated with that, and a few secluded swamps down in the southeast. And it's fairly widespread in the eastern states, but it's not supposed to be found in Adelaide and Mount Lofty Ranges region. I think it's probably spread as a result of the pet trade, because often you can go to pet shops and they've got parents tree frog, South Australia, and people, I'm sure, are thinking, oh, South Australian frog, I'm in South Australia, I'll get some and stick him in my pond. Mm. 
they're much bigger than most of our local native frogs. So frogs like the common frog are growing to about three centimetres and the brown tree frog and spotted marsh frog growing to about five centimetres are half the size of Perrin's tree frog. And generally what happens when you've got a big frog meeting a little frog is the big frog gets bigger and the little frog disappears because mm. it gets yeah. eaten. So I think it's a real problem if they are spreading throughout the region. And there's also the possibility of them spreading diseases. So we mentioned before chytrid fungus that has spread in other countries as a result of the pet trade. It's certainly a possibility that diseases like that could spread through South Australia with these frogs. Mm. Are there signs if a frog is infected by the fungus and you find a frog uh, how, how would you tell? Yeah, sometimes you can tell just by the general demeanour of the frog. They tend to sit fairly flat and stretched out. Often they spend a lot of time in the water and their skin and their eyes look fairly glazed over, almost cloudy in appearance. They're not bright and sparkling as they would be when they're happy and healthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to ask you, I mean, you've obviously been on the field researching frogs and done a lot of work and a lot of these photographs yours in in this book yeah probably about half of the photos in the book are mine we did source quite a few from other people throughout the country but we tried to use as many of our own photos as we could fantastic it must it must take you to some pretty amazing places unfortunately i don't get to go out as much as i would like but i have been to a few different spots and probably the best place i ever went to was up around kununurra in the Kimberleys. I went there a few years ago with Mike Tyler and some people from the Waterhouse group at the museum and our aim was just to go and encounter the frogs and see what was up there and we had a list of around about 26 species which are known in the region that we wanted to try and encounter and I think we ended up seeing about 24 of those species so it's absolutely fantastic. We went up there hoping to get the rains coming through and for about three or four nights, it was pretty dry. There wasn't a lot of frog activity. It's a little bit depressing. And the night before we were due to leave, the rains came and it was just deafening with frog species. It was absolutely incredible. That's amazing. That just reminds me of Borneo. Mm. Yeah. When the rain comes, it comes. Yeah. <laughs> Deafened by frogs. Yeah. Fog, fog Dam. Have you been to Fog Dam? I haven't, no. That's a hot spot for everything. But we saw those. Um, it's just an old causeway. They used to, um, what did they used to grow there? I don't even remember. But anyway, it's, it's put back a big flood, floodland now. There's a causeway through the middle of it. You can drive up and back. And on dusk, there's so many frog species. Yeah. Those rocket frogs that can jump 20 miles. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'd always see different pythons and killbacks and things like that. But, yeah, massive frog diversity up mm. north. So that obviously like reptiles there'd be more frog diversity up towards the tropics? Yeah, so there's much greater diversity up in Queensland and Northern Territory than there is down here with all the different habitat from all the different rainforest trees. There's many species that live up in the trees and hardly ever come down to the ground. There's the ones that burrow in the ground. You've got all the ones that are just on the surface of the ground in and amongst the leaf litter. The ones that spend a lot of time in water. You've got the ones which live in the rocky creeks and cliff faces huge diversity up there stupid question there are no frogs that live in the ocean no okay Um, frogs generally don't like salt water so you don't get frogs in the ocean there are some species that can handle a little bit of salinity so cane toads they've been known to try to breed in some of the spills on the beach so where you get a little bit of spray coming in they've been recorded in there and there is one species which I think it might be from the Philippines, but don't quote me on that, which has been reported as coming and feeding in some of the little rock pools when the tide goes out. So they'll come and feed on crabs and things like that in the rock pools, which are quite salty. But when the tide's up, they would move away. So that would be a dehydration problem? Yeah, so it's, yeah, salt is the major yeah. problem. Because they do so much of their breathing through their skin, they can actually lose water quite easily through the skin and of course we mentioned before they drink through their skin skin, water can go both ways and if you've got salty water the water in the body moves out towards the salt to try to balance the salt Ah, so they can dry out quite easily the same reason slugs hate salt yeah do you think cane toads will ever make their way to south australia i think there's certainly the possibility they've got quite a wide distribution naturally so 
in the Americas. You find them in the southern part of North America. You get them through Central America and into the northern part of South America. So you get the dry desert conditions around Texas. You get the cold mountain ranges. You get the tropical conditions. So they are quite well adapted to living in a whole range of different conditions. So I don't see there's any reason why they wouldn't be able to establish themselves in South Australia if they can get down maybe through the Cooper Creek system, through the Murray and into South Australia. Some, some animals are learning to adapt alongside them. I mean, when they first appeared, they just knocked everything for six, but yep. I believe some species are coming back. Yeah, I believe some of the birds have learned there's particular ways that they can feed on them. And I think maybe some of the mammals and reptiles are getting a little bit more used to the poisons in them, so they're slowly adapting, but they're still responsible for probably wiping out quite a lot of different species and even just out-competing. They can lay millions of eggs. The eggs, the tadpoles and the, the toads themselves are all poisonous, so it, you know, they've got quite a good advantage over many of the other local native species. And like you said, they're big um, bigger frogs eat yeah. the smaller frogs. Yeah, absolutely. So they so have had a big effect on. I frogs. believe so. Yeah, mm. you know, they've taken over a lot of the waterways where you'd have the native frogs breeding, because they're poisonous. They've had an impact on the what would be a normal frog predator. They eat a lot of food, so they're consuming a lot of the resources that other creatures would have. It's overwhelming the amount of them up in um, the tropics. Yeah. And they, they can breed so extensively. They can breed a couple of times a year. They lay millions of eggs, so they can increase in numbers quite quickly. And, and being a much bigger frog than most of the native species, they have an impact that way as well. Okay. Yeah, my friend released one into Adelaide. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> when, when my friend was little... Ex-friend? She, she, <laughs> well, she was a kid, and they had to dissect frogs. And she was a little bit of an activist and said, I'm not dissecting this frog. And she took it and she released it. And it turned out they were cane toads. And they had the army down trying to find this animal because they took it pretty seriously. Snipers. And Snipers. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you're out looking for frogs, I know that some species you can spot with eye shine, with a, hold the torch by your yeah. eyes. It's a very, it's not bright like some of the mammals. It's no. quite dim, but yeah. a lot of frogs you can eye yeah, shine. Quite, quite a few. Generally, when I'm looking for frogs, I try to do it based on sound. So you can use triangulation. And if you've got two or three people, you can stand there in the dark and just wait till a frog calls. Once a frog calls, you point your torch where you think it's coming from. And where the lights intersect, nearby there is where you're likely to find the frog. So you can then go over and start looking in the reeds or turning over rocks and logs and having a look for them in there. And... I have to ask, what is your favourite frog? Ooh, probably in, of the Australian frogs. It's a frog which is called Littoria jungai, which is one of the Rocky River frogs, and I think there's spectacular-looking frogs. So one of the, the rocket frogs that you were mentioning before, but absolutely beautiful coloration. Okay. Well, and what about if I was to say globally? Globally, probably I would... Either one of the poison dart frogs, there's some quite amazing colours in those, or the South American red-eyed tree frog, which is the one with the red eyes and the, the, the green body, but they've also got the blue and the yellow and the white and the orange striping Beautiful. on their body and their hands and feet. Beautiful. Yeah. So when um, I've got one other question... Maybe a dumb question. I apologise if it is. No such thing as a dumb question. <laughs> no, that's just dumb right. answers. <laughs> Absolutely. When um, when a tadpole turns into a frog, gets its lovely legs and everything arrives, yep. what happens to the tail? Very good question. Thank you. A lot of people think that their frog's <laughs> tail drops off. They actually eat it. Ah, right. so they but actually they, ingest it. They but they eat it from the inside out. So as I mentioned before, frogs don't have teeth for chewing their food. Mm -hmm. So they can't just turn around and bite the end of their tail off. And when the tadpole first turns into a frog, it loses all of its mouth parts. Because as a tadpole, they've got a little beak and little rows of teeth designed for scraping. So they can scrape the slime off the rocks and logs and they can chew the leaf litter. So when they develop their arms and legs, the beak and those little rows of teeth fall off. So they can no longer eat, they've got to grow a new mouth. But being an animal, 
the only way you can grow is by taking in energy in the form of food. But if you don't have a mouth, how do you get the energy to grow a mouth? So they actually eat their tail. So they release some enzymes into the base of their tail and their tail just degrades, providing the energy that the little frog needs to grow its mouth. It's such a weird animal. Glad I asked that now. Yeah. <laughs> I knew they didn't drop their tails, yeah. but I just wasn't totally Yeah, so sure basically it shrinks. So yeah. when you first find a frog that's just got all four legs, still has a bit of a stumpy tail, but over time that tail will shrink and disappear. <laughs> Frogs. Oh, yeah. yeah, crazy. Yeah. Crazy there, frog. There is one other thing. We were talking before about whether frogs respond to their call. Yeah. Some frogs, especially frogs like Bibran's toadlet, you don't even have to make the call. There's been times where we've got a torch and whacked it in our hands. That noise can be enough for the frogs to call. And even yelling out, hey, frog! <laughs> they can respond to that as well. All right, this is getting silly now. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to be an expert at making frogs to get them to respond to you. <sighs> Does it stress them out at all, doing things like that? Like, um, I don't imagine so. I think if you were doing it for an extended period of time and there were lots of people all yelling, hey, frog, hey, frog, in a small area, that would freak them out a bit. That'd stress me out. Yeah. But, you know, if you just do it once or twice just to get an idea if there's frogs around, yeah. if they're really scared, they'll go quiet. Yeah, okay. If they respond, you know that they're not super scared. So I'm going to assume you've got a frog habitat in your backyard at home? I've got a frog pond. Yep. I haven't got an extensive frog habitat because I've got a dog and the dog loves digging, so that does limit things somewhat. But I've got a, a pond which has been fenced off from the dog and I've got a few frogs breeding in there. Brilliant. And is there anything right now that's got you at the edge of your seat that you're really um, fascinated by with frogs? I mean, everything you've said so far has been fascinating, but what, what's driving you right now? I'm, I'm just really interested in finding out more about the frogs in South Australia. So p- if people can get involved in the Frog Watch program, download the app, go out there and make recordings. It's really interesting for us to see how frogs, their populations are changing over time. And especially if you're heading out into the interior of South Australia, if you're going forward driving or caravanning up in, in the, the northwest or the northeast, make some recordings and send them in because we can find out quite a lot about some of those unusual frogs by people getting involved in the Frog Watch. And that can help. Um, that can help you guys learn more about them, and we can help protect these animals. Absolutely, yeah. C- certainly, if we know that there's a rare species found somewhere, we can put pressure on government departments to help look after that even the local council we can say protect this area there's these important frogs here if we don't know where they're found we don't have those levels of protection available to us i love that you do that it's so sad that we have to do that that we have to protect the Mm. land from the government but thank you for what you do mate that's awesome you're welcome we can't say it enough but yeah everyone get out there and have a look get involved Yeah. yeah have a listen have a look Find out what's in your own backyard. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mate, thanks so much, and thank you so much for teaching me about the frogs that are in my backyard. I really enjoyed that. Stephen Walker, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice thanks, Steve.